So anyone who's new in their leadership role, I really sort of say, sit down and say, why do you love working for this person? What is it about that person that really motivates you and gets you excited? Take those characteristics and in your next role, you're interviewing your next leader to see if they have those. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Today on the B2B Leadership Podcast, my name is Nils Vinya, and I'm talking with Wayne McCulloch. Wayne, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Nils. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, my pleasure. I'm super excited to dig into all things leadership with you. But first, would you mind sharing a little bit of background about you, where you are today, what your role is, and so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've had two careers in my life. First half of my career was in B2B software around training, enablement, adoption, education, that kind of stuff. Second part of my life was definitely around customer success, professional services support, and all the components of the post-first sale organization. And so today I find myself at Google Cloud uh, running the customer success globally for all their SaaS products. So that's Workspace, Looker, Apogee Chronicle, and, and others. And I've really had an amazing journey through lots of really great companies before, like Salesforce, HP, PeopleSoft in the 90s. Um, so I've, I've, seen, I've seen lots of different ways of doing things. I certainly have my preferences and favorites, but um, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing today. Wonderful. And we're going to dig into all of that and, and find out about what you've taken away from these incredible companies through your rise and focusing on more of the training side and then the customer success side. That's absolutely wonderful. Within Google and your role today, how large of an organization are we talking about? Because it sounds like you cover a lot of products. Yeah, well, the one thing you learn about Google is scale. So it's not necessarily how the number of people you have. I think it's how smart you use technology. So I'll give you an example. One of the product lines we have has over 7 million paying customers. And if you think from a user perspective, it's in the billions. So you've got to think of a scale that there's not many companies in the world that think about how do you provide success to billions of people using technology as opposed to, you know, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands. So so it's really about scale and then how do you create personalized journeys at scale? And of course, technology allows us to do that. So at Google, it's different to any other company because it has that sheer size. And so thinking about how to solve the problems in my world is very different at Google than it has been at, say, other companies previous. Wow, that is... Uh let's just say mind-blowing, the numbers that you just (laughs) quoted there. So fascinating. All right. I'm curious to see how that plays out as we talk through on the leadership side. So let's go way back in time in the time machine. And let's talk about the very first time you transitioned and were promoted from an individual contributor level into a leadership position. Tell me a little bit about what the circumstances were, what types of work were you doing, and then what led to that transition? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it actually came about when I moved to the United States. This was back in, well, end of 1999. I'm dating myself now. And yes, there was an internet. And yes, you know, so it was kind of cool back then too. But really what happened was I was in an organization and I recognized that the way we were doing things hadn't really evolved in decades. It was just the same old, same old. And so I sat down and really tried to think from a customer standpoint, what would be a better experience? Like, how could I do it differently? What would be something more engaging, more fun, something different, differentiate our company in the market? And so I proposed a new way of sort of running the organization in question. And I actually was lucky enough for it to be shared with the CEO of the company. And um, he looked at it and said, actually, this makes a ton of sense and made a change at that point. And so suddenly now I'm, I was in a leadership position, no training, no enablement, no coaching, no mentoring. I'm just suddenly a leader with all these people reporting to me. And and yeah, I was I was horrible. But we can talk about that later. But, uh, but that's how I sort of made that transition was simply just being brave enough to say, hey, I think there's a different way of doing it. And that resonated with people. That's incredible. So had anybody up to that point in time ever asked you, Wayne, how do we look at this from a different perspective? What do you think? Did anybody ever ask you that? No, no, no one asked me that. And it's weird now I'm telling you this because no one's ever asked me this question before. So it's kind of cool. But it's weird when I'm thinking about it that I was promoted to being a leader with nothing that demonstrated I could be a leader. Nothing demonstrated I would be an effective leader. I was given no tools and training to be a leader, nor did I do anything that you would look today when you're hiring a leader. You'd be like, well, what leadership have we done in the past? Like, so just from having a different idea that no one asked my opinion but being Australian, we like just to give our opinion, whether you want it or not. Um, but I was just, you know, this is what I think we could do. And it wasn't done in a malicious way. It doesn't, wasn't done by saying what we're doing today is bad. It was just, I just think we could do it differently. What do you think? And that circulated around and eventually became my opportunity to, to become a leader, as weird as that sounds. There's something so incredibly insightful from that, right? And regardless of if this was somebody going from an individual contributor to a manager, manager, director, VP, what, or CCO, whatever, or, or C-level, anything, right? What you did was take a look at a situation, assess it on your own, come up with an idea, and then present an idea for how to do something different, right? I mean, that at the core is what you did, which is wonderful. And the reception on the other side was, oh, yeah. Okay, Wayne, now go do it. I was like, okay, hold on. <laughs> and let me tell you, coming up with the idea was a lot easier than doing the idea, which we'll talk about as well. But I do think that just that first step, having that courage just to say, hey, there could be a different way here. I don't think I see that enough, even in my organization, like trying to encourage that. Um, we do a hashtag awesome source where we actually encourage people to come up with new ideas to solve problems and we have rewards and recognition and we actually have budget to let teams go off and go do those things. But I think we need to encourage that more because it really like the people that really know how to do cool things are the people who are in the field with the customer experiencing the pains and showing the empathy and they actually have amazing ideas and rarely does it ever bubble up and so i was just fortunate that enough of the right people had their eyes on it so yeah and i i'm with you 100 percent. and that's one been a core theme of, of things i've helped leaders and, and aspiring leaders and growing leaders with over the years was there's no shortage of problems in your organization period <laughs> just like you saw but Nobody's going to come to you and ask you, what do you think we should do to solve this problem? Because if you solve it at that point, you're too late. Somebody else already identified the problem and it will probably 
and likely be taken by somebody else and say, well, here's how we should solve this problem, even if it was your idea. So might as well come to the table first. And I love that you have incentives and things to drive this kind of behavior. But I mean, this is really a personal decision, right? For everybody. There is nobody who can make this choice for you. I'm curious for your thoughts on just how to instill that in, you know, the audience who's listening to this, whether they're a, you know, manager, director, VP, C level. Like, how do you instill that in somebody else when, you know, it was something that you just naturally did? Yeah, well, uh, one thing I'll say is like, and there's a, there's a phrase that's going around a lot, you know, it's around psychological safety, right? You know, creating an environment for people to feel safe, to express their feelings and thoughts. What I wanted to do was sort of formalize that a little bit, create a program that enabled people to just randomly pick any problem in their organization and say, I think there's a better way of doing it. And it gives people a voice and it, it gives them permission to spend time, you know, not their day job, but to actually carve out time in their day and say, I'm going to go work out this. i got this great solution to this problem. I'd like to, A, identify the problem. That's a good thing. And then, B, suggest a solution. And people in any part of the org, from leadership down to individual contributors, can all participate. And what comes out of that is not necessarily the new groundbreaking, you know, innovation that you've been hoping for all your life. It, it actually is just wow, look at all the problems we have. That's the first thing you see when all these submissions come in. And then secondly, there's really easy solutions to some of it. They're not complex. They look complex, but when you dig into it, the person has an elegant design or solution or technology can solve it. And ultimately, I think just creating a program, an actual formalized way gives people the permission to actually put time into it and effort. And of course, there's reward and recognition for those people that, that crave that. And for others, it's just a sense of accomplishment that they've you know, suggested something and it's actioned or becomes an MBO of the organization or something. It, I really, it, it addresses multiple things by just creating that one process. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that you and your organization support that. And the, the theme of psychological safety is at the core of everything everybody's willing to do or not go willing to do. Some people will be a little bit more bold and like Australians, as you said, be totally comfortable bringing up a new solution. Others that might not be where they came from, might not have been uh, something that was celebrated. So I love that you put that plan into action and, and have that as a, as a backdrop for how to get incredible innovation inside your organization. And there's the easy wins. I love that. Like all the problems that we face. They don't always require silver bullets, right? Sometimes they require the 1% improvements as opposed to the 50 or 100% improvements. That's right. And um, I think we get too caught up on the, the big, the big problem solving, you know, solution. And, that, and that's almost not a, it's tenable by people. It's just too big, right? And so creating these abilities to do the one percenters, they make a difference. If I take churn from 89 to 90%, that could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars over the next three, four years. Like that's the impact. It doesn't have to be big as long as it's getting better. And the one thing that I'll say that, look, and we could dig into this later as well, is I feel like because I did that and was elevating into leadership, I fell into the trap of thinking, oh, I have all the ideas now. I'm the leader. I got here because I have great ideas. And one of the downfalls of my leadership in the first year, and I apologize to everyone I managed in that first year, was that I thought I had all the answers or I had to come up with all the answers and totally forgot that the, the way that I got to that position was to was because I was empowered as someone who actually lives the problem to solve the problem. 
And it, it took me a little while from the maturity curve to work out, oh, I should be letting the team solve the problem. My job's not to solve every problem. Just because I got to this position because I did that doesn't mean that's my job now. And so that was a trap I fell into. So I just wanted to flag that as a, an early learning for me in my leadership journey. You answered my next question, which was, well, what happened when you got promoted into there? And both there's a, there's the the pro side and things that went well, and then there's the, the challenges that you faced. Where was the realization that you were going about things the wrong way, that you had all the answers? Was there a pivotal moment or something that happened where you realized, wait a second, I'm not going about this the way that actually got me into this role. What am I, I'm doing something wrong. So it, it came down from my coach mentor my manager at the time who's the ceo of the company and and he sat me down and he's like wayne he's like you're brilliant you're great you're charismatic you're all and he's like and i'm like oh i'm getting a pay right this is good I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation immensely from the ceo of the company the feedback sandwich was coming yep and then bam he goes but here's the problem like you're 30 years old you're an executive at a publicly traded company like and you've got here really fast you skipped a whole bunch of steps, right? Which is every kid's dream who moves to America to live, you know, to, to live the dream that you can here in this country. But he said, but here's the problem. Like you've, you don't have the scars on your back. Like you don't have the, the street cred of doing all these jobs that you're asking other people to do. You're giving solutions to problems you haven't actually experienced. And you've got to find a way to unlock the value of your organization to allow them to give you the opportunity to succeed. What you're trying to do is do it yourself as the leader. That was a very important, pivotal conversation in my entire career where I got that tough love, I got that direction of you know what I was doing wrong and what I could be doing right. Just exactly what you need from a coach at that point. And from that point on, I was able to sort of you know shrink my head back down so I could get through the door and start to look a little more internally and saying, Am I being the best coach? Am I being the best leader for my team? Am I allowing the best people's ideas to surface? Am I creating an environment where people can create the successes for themselves, for the organization and our customers? And when I really looked at it, I wasn't. It was a hard reflection and you feel a little down for a while. But ultimately, I said, okay, I've been given this amazing opportunity to do it differently. And do it again the right way. And and I was able to take that. And I think from there, my, my career really started to take off. What a pivotal conversation and some incredible feedback from your then CEO that, that changed the course of your career and your entire life. Right? Had you continued down that path, we'd be probably might not even be talking today. Right? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Awesome. Wonderful. And that element of, you know, being in a leadership position and not having the answers. I mean, that that is above and beyond is is one of the most pivotal lessons that I've learned and have worked with my coaches and the people that I've coached as well, because frankly, you're never going to have all the answers. But if you help other people discover the answers, they will be infinitely more committed to them and they will follow you because they know that you can help them get to another place they might not have been able to get to on their own. One of my favorite quotes is, none of us is as smart as all of us. Yep. There we go. Done.
And as and it's funny because we talk about this in, in it's like in a simplistic form. So let's break this down into something that somebody listening could actually put into practice going into some initiative project meeting, something else with other members of their team. Whereas maybe they've approached this from a, well, I was put in this position to have the answers. How would you coach them in what to do in that next interaction to embody this sentiment of just, you know, everybody else has the answers, not you. Yeah, look, it's a it's a very vulnerable moment as a leader. Now, I'm not saying I get up there and say, hey, everyone, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what to do. Like, you know, obviously, I'm not going to do that as a leader. But as a leader, you can be really genuinely honest and say, look, I got some great ideas. I really feel like I've got great feedback. I've talked to customers. I've talked to other executives. I've talked to the team. I've talk- like I, I have a vision of what I think is possible. What I'd love to do is share that with you. And I'd love for you to, to tell me if I'm on the right track or if I'm on the wrong track. Like I, just be open and comfortable and feel that you can tell me because I don't, I don't know. And I, before I go out and tell the world this, I need us as a team to believe that this is the right approach. And so that collaborative nature of solving problems and, and sometimes it's frustrating as a leader. You want to move fast. Like I got to solve this problem. It's a burning issue. I got to, I just got to get the fire truck and start putting it out. And, and the reality is sometimes you have to go slow to go fast, which is a phrase you hear all the time. But I really understand that meaning, which is if you just take a step back, involve a few more people, get some more insight, that can make the difference between a, a good idea and a great idea. And as far as buy-in from people, people understanding, people even coming up and saying, you know what, I, I'm not really sure it's the right way, but I do like the way you went about it. Thank you for including us. Like those sort of things as confirmation that you're doing the right thing. So for me, it really is about involving the people, giving them an opportunity to have a voice. We talk about, you know, disagree and commit. Like it's okay to not agree with the way forward. But as a team, as long as we finally come to some conclusion and and move forward around that vision, it's really powerful. Even an ordinary idea with everyone's energy behind it can be great. It doesn't have to be the best idea as long as everyone is 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 actually executing against it. And again, that was a hard lesson. I just I just didn't believe that was true. And I didn't want to bank my career on getting it wrong. And I put all this pressure on myself. I didn't need to. And I excluded all these people that I shouldn't have in order to go achieve goals. So it's counterintuitive. You you become a little more insular and protected, but you don't get the results you're expecting or need because of that. And so it's it's tough having that vulnerability as a leader for sure. That's incredible insight based on your experience. Thank you so much for sharing that and the guidance on how to actually go about doing this. So let's talk about just one of your promotions. You've received many promotions throughout your career at some of the incredible companies, most incredible software businesses in the world, period. You've received lots and lots of promotions. So I would love to hear about one pivotal one, one that was just unique and kind of you felt and just really proud of. And what was that promotion? What was related to it? And how did it all come about? Well, it sounds like I've had a lot of promotions. I don't, I don't think I've had a lot of promotions, but I certainly have been on a journey um, of increased responsibility. Sometimes they were promotions. Sometimes it seemed just a lot of extra work for no more pay or title. But at the end of the day, continuing to grow, continuing to learn has been pivotal. I think for me, um, when I went to Coney was really important because the, the problem was around customer success. And I'm like, oh, I can help with that. And I was um, excited after Salesforce and my pivot to the world of, you know, customer success. And I came in and during the interview process sort of talked about how I saw customer success as part of a bigger initiative of the post first 
say, or function, which included support services, training other 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 teams renewals. And so during the interview process, it was, well, would you, we'd like to expand the role to include these three orgs instead of this one org. So I felt like, okay, I've been promoted, but I haven't started yet. So I'm hopefully that's reflective in the offer because I don't want the same offer for the bigger job. But, you know, you, you think of these weird things, but I'm like, well, I kind of have a promotion just through the interview process because of the way I was able to articulate how this is not a department problem. It's a, it's a, a broader philosophy problem of the company and many people are needed. And so creating that common vision, when I started and we started implementing, getting immediate results, immediate feedback, whether it was NPS scores, which I would never do today, but I did back then because that's what they did. You know, whether it was revenue retention, all these um, CSAT on the support side, like we immediately started to see an uptick by really being cu customer centric. So within months, it, I was then offered the chief customer officer position and sort of folding everything under. So in a very short amount of time, just by being true to the customer and the journey and the moments of truth that we need to manage along the way. I went from a department sort of role to multi-department to an entire CCO function in just you know a matter of months. And for me, it was very surprising. But when I look back, I'm like, it makes a ton of sense because the CCO role is so incredibly important. I mean, you just saw Yemeni over at HubSpot just became the CEO from the CCO. Like you're starting to see that people are understanding this role is way more than retention or customers you know sat or advocacy it's so much bigger and so for me that was a surprise but also kind of cool to go on that journey really quickly by just focusing on the problem and being able to articulate how to go solve for that massively massively impactful on the company we'll get back to the interview in just a minute this episode is brought to you by the b2b leaders academy the cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. I'm seeing a common theme with back when you got the first promotion and this one was all about identifying and articulating the problem and presenting your approach for how to solve it. Again, I'm guessing that in that interview process, they didn't say, Wayne, I want you to come in and tell us how you would solve all of our problems, right? No. <laughs> for a VP of customer success interview and you're like, okay. But through that, you know, boldness in bringing your ideas to the table, they saw in you a different capacity than maybe they even thought was there before. Yeah. And it came about by simple things like saying, are you seeing this problem over here? And they're like, oh yeah, we have that problem. Are you seeing this problem over there? And they say, yeah, we have that problem too. And I'm like, here's why you're seeing it. Like you're focused here, this is what's happening actually behind the scenes. So the ability to explain something that's unknown suddenly elevates your credibility tremendously. And it only comes because you really think about something more broadly. My boss I had at HP, we were always talking about what's the unintended consequence? Like think about your decision is optimizing for your team, but it might be negative to other teams 
who are trying to solve a different problem. So thinking more broadly about my decision in this organization is going to impact how. I need to go talk to those people. And so I was really lucky that, you know, that bit of advice caused me to stop and say, I don't operate in a vacuum. My team doesn't operate in a vacuum. Our customers certainly touch lots of the org. So understanding how the pieces fit together gave me the ability to explain problems that other people didn't get, which instantly means, wow, you could do more. And I think that's one piece of advice I'd give people too, which is, you know, I would say in, in your career, you're a mountain climber, explorer, or deep diver. You either want to be the CEO, you want to try all different jobs and roles, or you want to be the best you can be at just that role and be there forever because you love it, right? And for me, being an explorer is an important part of your career journey and understanding how other functions work. If you want to be a mountain climber, you've got to understand how all the pieces fit together. You don't have to work in that group, but just talking to those people, spending time, you learn empathy for how difficult their jobs are because you think your jobs are the hardest and you're always you know, underfunded. And you're, but everyone in reality is. And so understanding that really helped me become the mountain climber when I hit that stage in my career. So... That's incredibly insightful. And just the, the act of in, in the interview situation, which you've highlighted perfectly, um, and which ultimately we are effectively interviewing for our next role all the time, right? Because there's a lot of eyes on any leader, whether you're in a leadership position or not, there are eyes on you, like who's bringing the ideas to the table, who's pushing the envelope, who's moving us forward. But in an interview situation, I love that you ask the questions about what kinds of problems they're experiencing in these other areas. And this is one of the most powerful tools I think that leaders have if you're going into a new position or you're, or you're um, interviewing for a, another position within your same company is treat it as a discovery session because what Wayne just described, you can 100% do if you ask the right questions, highlight the holes, and then come up with a solution for how you would address and solve those problems. Changes the dynamic of an interview completely from a one-sided, let me, I have all these questions to ask you, candidate, to a conversation <laughs> and saying, wait, you know a lot about this. How, wait, I want to learn some more. How do I how do I learn more from this experience? So that was just phenomenal uh, example of putting that into action. Question is, did you really know you were doing that at the time? Um, I think for Coney, yes, absolutely. Uh, earlier in my career, I've done it. It sounds like I've done it twice, but I've done it almost every interview I've ever done. But I didn't realize until I was going came out of Salesforce and. Um, I'm like, you know what? I think the way that I approach interviews is all wrong. So I do all the research on the company. I do all the research on the department. I come with my stock standard answers that I think make me look cool. Like, well, what keeps you up at night? And like and every candidate asks that and everyone sort of rolls their eyes and goes, well, uh, that's why you're here, right? Because no one's doing this job. And I, like, and so I'm like, that doesn't differentiate me in, this, in the interview process. What differentiates me is the capabilities that typically don't come out in an interview other than what they are asking you as an interviewer. They are asking you a set of questions and calibrating you against others. And I'm like, oh, I got to break out of that. I got to demonstrate I have a much broader set of capabilities I can bring to this company, either to be used now or later as the company wishes. That creates a versatility in a leader 
that separates you from this person's done this for 20 years and they're awesome. And I'm like, I'll go up against that person all day long because I think I can match maybe 80% of what they're great at, but I have all this other capability that that person doesn't. And that's what gives me the advantage. And so um, once I work that out going for interviews since then, I've been very conscious about how do I demonstrate my value to them without sitting back and saying, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Because it doesn't, it's different at every company. It's like this is the knowledge and understanding of the mechanics of running the business that I understand. That's my value. And then once I understood that, my interviews became a lot cleaner and crisper. And I've done, I've been very successful in interviews since then. And then you get promoted even before you start the job. So that is the single best time to negotiate also, right? Because you haven't technically agreed to anything. You're like, wait, this is a little bigger scope than we were talking about. So let's talk about the job. My next role to look at did exactly the same thing, was a, a, a position. And then by the time I started, it had grown just because of the interview process. And then again, soon after, expanded again, um, following the exact same um, formula, which is like demonstrating an understanding and knowledge that's way bigger than what they're looking for gives them it's just that utility player on the field like oh he can be a quarterback oh he can be a defensive person he could be a running back like i can do the roles and sometimes companies are looking for people that can do that not all but the ones i've interviewed for have so i've been lucky a hundred percent i've found the same and and being on the other side of the interviewer if I, you know, have an inspiring conversation as a result of someone bringing a piece of information that I don't know, that is fascinating. And that means that they are, you know, well-versed in things beyond just the scope of the immediate that we were, things that we were going to talk about. And that shows a lot of, um, you know, proactiveness and being in a position to think bigger than just your one little role. I, I believe that the more senior you are in an org, like it changes from being a vertical to a horizontal impact, right? So if you're going to head a department chances are you've got people that can go run the department. Your job is to work out the horizontal. How do I leverage the other capability? How do I assist and help them? How do I you know, give feedback to my team from other orgs? Like how do I coordinate? That's the value you bring. So the higher you go up in leadership, I find it sort of switches from that vertical to horizontal. And in the interview process, you have to, even though it might be a department head, you've got to go on the horizontal because that's actually what they need from you is the ability to be that horizontal impact, not just that vertical. Love it. Horizontal versus vertical, very clear depiction of when and where to use that particular mindset. All right, so let's talk about some of the um, the greatest leaders that you have worked for in your various career. You've worked at some of the incredible companies. What are some of the traits and characteristics that you've seen, embodied, picked up from other leaders that have influenced your own leadership style? Yeah, I've had some varied leaders and I know, you know, probably everyone listening has had multiple leaders in their career, maybe too many that they would want to admit to because, you know, especially in technology companies that are always changing and growing. And So for me, what, what really stands out is number one is the coaching. And I mentioned way back early in my career, I had a coaching session that the, the CEO at the time, his name's Tom Hogan, he wasn't telling me what to do. He was he was telling me where I was deficient. He was telling me what I should go focus on. He didn't tell me how to go do it. He left that to me and to go help, you know, work out how am I going to go to those skills, ask for his help and all that stuff. But that coaching mindset has stuck with me. And I've understood and realized now that as a leader, that's that's my most important job 
is coaching. It's not giving people answers. It's so tempting when I'm like, oh, I've seen this 20 times before. Here's the answer, right? But that that robs the person of the learning you went through. And you're thinking in your head, well, this is more efficient. This is quicker. I'm teaching them the, the right way out of the gate. But you're not teaching when you tell someone how to do it. You're teaching when you let them try and either discover it or fail and either way have that conversation. That's how you teach people. And so as a leader, again, it's really difficult to do that because you, I know the answer. I know the answer. And, and, and you know what? what's really funny is sometimes you actually – you're wrong. <laughs> like, Those are you know, the best times. Right. Yeah. And over the years, the amount of times you're wrong gets less. But ultimately, that learning piece that I went through, that to me is number one. I think things like accountability, we don't have enough accountability from leaders. In fact, or they hold people accountable without the coaching, which is almost as frustrating, right? They either don't hold people accountable and let them get away with stuff. Other people, superstars, pick up the slack or they kind of – that's horrible. That destroys morale. That that robs you of having another leader that can actually be autonomous and go drive the business. So that accountability also works on the other side, which is you can't hold people accountable if you're not coaching them the right way and giving them the right tools. And that also happens and people become scapegoats and poor leaders typically will, will, will use that like, oh, they're just not performing, but they haven't done anything to even help that person. They're just assuming they know it all. And um, I think the third one would be empathy. I've been in some situations in my personal life where I'm like, things are tough, right? Bad things happen that have nothing to do with work and they're going to impact you at work. There's none of this. I'm work person and I'm a home person. I'm a person, right? So, and having the ability for leaders to, you know, to, to talk to the leader about it and then have that empathy and just sort of saying, you know, what, how can I help? Not go take some time. I hate that. Like go take some time off. And I'm like, sometimes that's not the right thing. I need to be engaged. I don't need to be focused on this really sad thing that happened over here. Like I need to be distracted. So, so things like, you know, how can I help? What can I do to get you through this? Like, what do you need from me? Those are the questions that I find and that demonstrate that empathy from a leader that really understands that everyone is different. Everyone needs something different. Their job is not to offer the solution. Their job is to ask me what the solution is for me. And over time, I've worked with some people like my my manager previously to the one I have now, I've worked at four companies with. Um, the CEO I mentioned, I've worked at three companies with. Like you get to know each other and so that empathy can shift a little, but ultimately having that empathy is important. And then finally, I think gratitude. So the best leaders I have um, are very conscious of thanking any success they have in recognizing where that comes from. Sometimes it is the leader. Sometimes the leader came up with the amazing idea and, and that's that's fine. They should be allowed to be proud of that moment, right? That's important. But most often as a leader, most of the best ideas are not yours. The execution of the ideas was not you. And so that gratitude of people, you know, appreciating the vision and executing, having successes, but also the gratitude of other people assisting, supporting, helping, going out of your way to say if something great happens, like a CSM gets an amazing advocacy asset built that gets put out on the web, you go thank the CSM and you give them prizes. But what about the marketing person that actually wrote the collateral? What about the web team that put it up on the and got all the, the ability to scale? And, and thinking through when I thank someone, usually there's more than one. And so being able to just reach out and even if it's just an email to their boss and copy them or to them and copy their boss and just say, you're amazing. Thank you so much. You rocked it. Their boss gets to see that and they feel like, oh, I'm just doing my job. But like it just those that moments of gratitude are so easy to do. They're not they don't cost money. They just 
those four things, I think for me, are what, you know, when I look at leaders, I mean, you can look at vision, execution and all that sort of stuff, but ultimately those four things for me is what I look for in, in any leader I'm going to go work for is, is there evidence that they've demonstrated those four characteristics? Just so perfectly said, coaching, accountability, empathy, and gratitude for incredible elements of leadership, as you heard from Wayne's stories. Um, that coaching element is really the foundational piece and in, in why you and I see eye to eye on so much of the leadership stuff, right? Is if you don't have the answer, you're forced to ask questions. When you ask questions, you get better insights. When you get better insights, you can present a better potential solution or a better vision or whatever it is, right? But that's nothing without accountability, which is nothing without truly understanding where somebody else is and helping them with the empathy and then thanking them all along the way. So I love how it actually all builds on each other. You could probably make a little circle circle diagram. Yeah, it might be parts of uh, our next book that we're going to collaborate on, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, that's really, I, I accidentally came up with that. So uh, I need more, more conversations with you because I feel Fair like you, you know how to position it and explain it better. But to me, like literally those are the four. And I didn't know that until really late in my career. So anyone who's new in their leadership role, I really sort of say, sit down and say, why do you love working for this person? What is it about that person that really motivates you and gets you excited? Take those characteristics and in your next role, you're interviewing your next leader to see if they have those. Not if you're the right person for that role, not like if that's the right company or job. Your first, your first decision's got to be is the person I'm going to work for have the characteristics that help me be a better leader and manager. And and for me, I didn't learn that till late in my career. I wish I had learned that earlier. So hopefully that's helpful for some new leaders out there. Oh, 100%. I think it's helpful for any leader at any stage because we've, let's face it, we've all been in situations that we've gotten into, whether at manager, director, VP, C level, where that alignment with the person we reported to wasn't exactly ideal. Or maybe the something happened in the organization and all of a sudden we report to somebody new. And it's a great litmus test as a way to fall back and say, okay, I need to reassess. Am I still going to be as effective here? And for me to be effective, I have to be able to perform at my best for me to be able to perform at my best. I got to have somebody that I work with that embodies these kind of characteristics, whether they're Wayne's for or, you know, some other alternates, uh, adjustments, variations, but at least you have a scorecard, if you will, of what it takes to work with you to bring out your best. Then you can always be in a position to make a confident decision about this is the right place or maybe I need to explore another option. Yeah. It's funny. Like you ask someone and say, hey, what's your favorite movie? Or what's your favorite three movies? And people are like, oh, that's cool. And they'll come up with three, right? And then you're like, what's the three favorite characteristics of a manager you've had? Stumped. And I'm like, <laughs> right. it's kind of important. That's your job, your career. It's where you make money for your family. and voila. But So something as trivial as what's your favorite movie, everyone kind of knows what their favorite movie But no one takes the time to think about, well, what are the characteristics that I love about a manager? And so it's, it's strange when you think that we've separated work and personal just like – even though they're blended together, we work from home these days and everything's sort of meshed together, we still think of them very differently. But I'm like some of the care and attention you give yourself in your personal life, you can do on the business side and vice versa or on the business side, some of that operational rigor and, and governance and discipline you have to have. Sometimes I don't have that in my personal life. And I think I think we can learn from each. And so I, I don't think of them as separate. I just think of them as opportunities to experience things 
and then sort of switch them over and say, well, what works over here? Let's see if that works over there. And um, but that's that's for me, knowing what you really love from a leader and a manager, that should guide you as to making decisions on next roles and, and jobs and companies. It's one of the first things that I look at for sure. Wonderful, wonderful insights. All right, so let's let's shift gears to the advice piece. Um, let's take let's take a second and again go back in the time machine. You're having a conversation with everything you know today, but with yourself at that point at which you got promoted into that first leadership role we talked about earlier. What is the single short snippet piece of advice that you would give yourself as you got into that incredible role where you were now responsible for executing this plan that you developed? Hmm. All right. Time machine, go back. All right. I'd sit myself down and the first thing I'd say is you are not as good as you think you are, but you're not as bad as you think you are either. Like <laughs> Having that balance is important because some people believe they're better than they are. Some people have, you know, imposter syndrome and just struggle with that. And the reality is Rarely are you either. Like you're going to spend almost all the time somewhere in the middle, right? It's up to you if you want to become better and improve. Like it's not about how awesome you can be. It's not about being the best leader, the best ideas. The be it's just about how can I be better? That's all you have to worry about. There's, there's no end goal here. It's just what could I do now that would make me a better leader, a better you know manager, a better person? And you can do that in your personal life or what. But I would tell myself, you're not as good as you think you are. You're certainly not as bad as you think you are but you always have to challenge yourself to be better. Sounds cliche, totally the advice I'd give myself because even though it's cliche to you and me because, I don't know, we've been around a little while and we've seen a few things and we've like, oh, that's actually true. That's why it's a cliche. <laughs> that's, right. that's why it's still around as a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but when you're young, like, you know, you don't have that experience and so you have to learn it. And so if I could give myself that advice, that would help. I, I think secondly, one of the things that I, you know, I, I actually – had some people say, if you want to get promoted, you want to demonstrate value, like go find something you're really passionate about inside the company, go for it and go make it great. And I did that a couple of times and nothing really happened. I just worked a lot of extra hours and, you know, it was interesting, but I didn't you, go find what your manager or your manager's manager is really passionate about and go do that. And while it sounds painful because you're like, oh, I don't want to go solve that problem. That's not fun and interesting to me. Like, it's not about you at this point. It's about demonstrating value to the company and others so that they welcome you in to give you the opportunity to go work on the things you want to go work on. So it's kind of like I have to go do the training if I want to do an Ironman. I just can't do the Ironman. I got to do some work first to then reap the benefits of what that means. And so for me, I would tell myself, don't focus on the things you care about. Focus on the things that others care about that is really important to them who can then look at you in a different way to say, oh, you helped me solve problems that impact me. I need you to have more responsibility. I need you to be across some of these other challenges. I want to engage with you to find out what other ideas you have. That unlocked a whole bunch of things too once I worked that out, um, which didn't happen until sort of midway through my career. So they're the two things I'd tell myself early on to hopefully get off to a better start. Love it. Love it. And there is, well, if there's one thing that every leader wants is people who work for them, whether they're leaders or individuals, who are really good at helping them solve more problems because the only guarantee in leadership 
is that there will always be more problems. There's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be done, but problems will exist. The better you are at solving problems and the better your team and your department and your organization, whatever it is that reports to you is, is at solving problems, the better off you'll be. Wayne, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. You have incredible insight, incredible experience. This audience I know has taken away a tremendous amount and I sincerely thank you for your time and expertise. Thanks a lot. This was fun. I look forward to our book coming out whenever that is in the future. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll do another episode when the when the joint book comes out. Bill and Wayne on the uh, on the leadership front, and uh, we'll have some fun with that. Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks so much. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.